initially, you know, you'll have someone coming in and they are the first person that's from, I'm just gonna say a random country, like from Brazil or from Taiwan. And that's obviously cool, but at first it's like, okay, different language, different behavior, etc., etc. And at first I would say there's like a dip in productivity where you don't understand each other as, as much. But then when you work through that and you improve your communication, I would say that the communication gets even better than if you would have mm. just started and already would have been on the same communication level because then you don't need to worry about it. This episode is brought to you by WHU, the Otto Beisheim School of Management. WHU is reshaping the way students learn about business, management, finance, and entrepreneurship through its innovative programs and partnerships in Germany and across the globe. To learn more about this globally ranked university, visit whu.edu today. Hi, folks. Welcome back to the Most Awesome Founder podcast. In this episode, we have a fascinating conversation lined up with Justus Schmusser, WAO alumnus and co-founder of Katmos, a salary payment platform for migrant workers, which was recognized by Glassdoor as one of the fastest growing startups in Germany in 2022. In this episode, we will discuss how his experience as a consultant helped him to develop the skills and mindset needed to become a successful founder. One of the unique aspects of Cadmus is their belief in the advantages of on-site working. In a world where remote work is becoming increasingly popular, Cadmus has taken a different approach. And we will explore why they believe this is the best way forward for their business. So whether you're an aspiring founder looking for inspiration or just curious about the inner workings of a successful startup, you don't want to miss this episode. Let's dive in. Coming to you from WHU on the banks of the Rhine River in beautiful Fallendar, Germany. This is the best and most awesome founder podcast. A show about entrepreneurs, innovators, advisors, and educators, and the stories that make them who they are today. Justus, welcome to the most awesome founder podcast. Thank you. Um, it's Glad great to, to have you here. It's great to have you here. And as always, we always start a bit with looking a bit at the background of the people that we interview in this podcast. And of course, uh, to prepare, I looked at your LinkedIn profile, uh, where I saw that you did your bachelor at WAU, but subsequently you actually did a master in finance at MIT in, mm -hmm. in Boston. Uh, and of course, as a WAU professor, I'm always interested in knowing, like, was that a big change? Uh, did you really have to adjust going to MIT? Uh, can you remember how that felt going from Wallander to Boston? Yeah, no, I can absolutely remember. Uh, I think academically, to be honest, it wasn't harder. It actually at times was okay. easier. I think the, the exams and, and workload actually were more uh, at WAU, to be honest. Uh, like, that was easier. Okay. What was really cool, though, and I think that was also the most... The biggest thing that I took away was the the much higher diversity of the of the people, right? I think um, I think the awesome thing about WHO is that you have such a concentration of people that are aspiring to relatively similar things, especially from their career. Um, and uh, at MIT, it was um, so people were still very ambitious, but there was very different types of ambition and very different people. Um, and um, also, I mean, today, I guess you know one of the most relevant thing we're going to talk about is is, is, uh, is our company, Cadmos. And uh, uh, actually, my, my co-founder, Sasha, I met him studying there. 
Um, and I don't, I think things would have turned out very differently if I wouldn't have met him there and if it wouldn't have yeah. been uh, such a diverse group of people. Okay, and, and can you maybe explain a bit more what you see as the kind of added value of that kind of diversity? Because, of course, it's mm. it's a big topic. And also at VAU, we are now really investing in trying to get more diverse students, more international students, and that's steadily working out. Um, so we also see it as important. But but can you maybe describe how you saw that as a very specific advantage of, of having a more diverse group of students? Sure. Um, um... And maybe to like preface that, it's not only I think about like how many uh, males and females, where do people come mm. from, I mean, that also obviously influences it, um, but also the skills that people have uh, and, and, and what they do. So um, the, the one example that always comes to my mind is sharing a lot of time with these very quant-driven people, right? And you had people that we would play poker in our dorm room. Um, <laughs> and then this, uh, this one guy, Nick, you know, greetings if you ever watches this. Um, he would just start calculating odds in his head while new cards, you know, came out uh, <laughs> over the course of the game. Um, and yeah. like that in a really precise manner, right? Like I might be exaggerating, but something like, oh, the odds just went to, you know, one to 200,000 against me to only one to, you know, 127. Um, yeah. And that was really impressive because um, seeing that live tells you, oh, there's actually someone who was able to calculate that in his head and knows how to do it. Um, yeah. And then suddenly, you know, I realized I, I don't know how to do that. And that shows you, oh, there's maybe a pathway of things I can learn, which I, which I don't know about. Um, mm. So I think that's yeah. maybe a good, a good example of okay. how that felt. Yeah. And and for me, it's, it's, it's intriguing that you touch upon this topic of diversity, because after um, your master in MIT, you went to McKinsey. Mm -hmm. And as an outsider... <laughs> I would see McKinsey not as the kind of core example of diversity. Um, it's not, no, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> okay. I, mean, they, I mean, to be honest, I think actually once you're inside, there, there's also a bunch of diversity in terms of, you know, people study background and, and all these things. But to be honest, McKinsey wasn't um, uh, a really inspired choice at that moment in time. Rather, I wanted to work there uh, since I was 15. When I was 15, I met a guy. Okay. There was a, um, a senior partner uh, at the firm and he told me about, oh, you know, ah, by the way, tomorrow Sunday, I need to fly to South Africa and rescue a diamond mine. And I was like, <laughs> okay, what kind of job do I get to fly to South Africa on Monday and rescue a diamond mine? That's the job I want to do. And that was the first time I heard about McKinley and obviously I researched it a bit more what that even meant. But uh, like from 15 to like 22, when I started working there, that was like my singular career goal. Like there was no other, I also only applied at McKinsey. I didn't apply at any other institution okay. or did anything else. Like I only wanted to work there. I prepared and I just wanted to do that. And there was no discussion for me regarding that topic. Okay. So that was a very focused kind of career path that you had in your mind uh, from yeah. your 15 years already. Okay. Pretty much. And, and... I mean, it sounds maybe too nerdy, right? I mean, it wasn't like that was the singular <laughs> purpose of my life. But when someone asked me, yeah. <clears throat> excuse me, what do you want to do for your career? I was like, yeah, I think that's what I want to do. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. And, um, and you're not the only one that does that kind of career path. Uh, we, we look quite intensively to the, the career paths of founders from VAU. And I would say this is almost like the prototypical career path. First going to a big consulting company and then later on start your own company. Um, can you maybe explain me a bit what you see as the kind of advantage of having this kind of two, three years at a consulting gig? How does it help you as a founder? Mm. Um, I think mainly in two ways it helped me. 
you know, if I was completely brainwashed from McKinsey, I would have said three ways, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick to the, <laughs> to the two ways. Um, so uh, one, I think it really helps you develop yourself uh, as a, you know, I would call it worker, right? Like you, the toolkit um, and the mindset uh, and so many other things that you get as an individual thinking about how do I work in like a capitalist enterprise, like that you really mm-hmm. learn. Um, because the people you know that are above you have done this for so many years so intensively, you do it so much. Like there's very little time throughout the day where you have downtime, uh, or at night, or you know whenever. Right, you're always working, and people are always pushing you to do the next important thing. So you really learn extremely quickly. Um, but in the specific domain of like what is how do you work in an enterprise? Um, <clears throat> and I think the second thing is the ability to see a lot of different industries and companies. Shows you to some extent what's good or bad. And also because you see different teams, right? You work with different mm-hmm. project managers, different partners, different other associates. You work with different clients. Um, and, and that helps you, or at least helped me, to calibrate kind of what is good or bad in terms of, um, in terms of work. Um, and that was also a, um, one of the drivers to uh, then start doing something else because I saw what kind of environments I like to work in. And then I was able to think, about, okay, what kind of environment can I create that I want to work in? So those, yeah. those two things, yeah. Would you actually recommend today students to still follow this trajectory? So first go to consulting and then to, uh, if, if they have the ambition to create a startup, would you still yeah. encourage them first do two, three years consulting and then start? Or would you say, no, just start immediately or do something else? I don't know. Mm, it's a good question. I haven't tried the other ways. I only know this way. Yeah. Um, and also for the, often for the people you know, working directly with me, I look for a somewhat similar mindset, this idea of like a professional services mindset. So I think consulting isn't, the, it doesn't have to be consulting. It can be like investment banking or it can be a law firm or it could be um, like a, a private equity fund or anything else. I think where you work on topics that are always kind of super high priority for the people you work with. Um, the topic where you work in really focused teams, it's topics where it's kind of project-based and you have to do something quickly. You have to get something done. Um, there's a lot of pressure involved. Um, I would encourage people to do anything like that in the beginning. I think if you go to a large industrial, I mean, I, I don't know. Again, I, I haven't done it. I can't. I, but what yeah. I see from the outside, um, it sounds like there's a lot of uh, downtime, a lot of kind of maybe boredom, a lot of situations where you don't know what you are supposed to do and how you can add value. Um, and the thing now that, that, that I really take from that, um, you know, I mentioned at this first point of self-development, how do you work? It's like, when I do work now, no one cares if I'm, you know, if I work, like there's no one checking, am I in the office? No one's going to promote me. I, I cannot be promoted or anything like that. So the only yeah. question I ask myself is, am I right now creating value for the goals that I have when I'm working? And if I realize mm. I'm not like, I close my laptop and I go, I go somewhere else. I do something <laughs> else, but I don't stand there and like, oh, I just exist as a worker bee in this, in this cubicle. And that mindset, yeah. I think you will learn from the professional services where you really realize what does it mean to be constantly kind of creating, creating a productive output. Yeah, so it's, now, it's a kind of... One, sorry, sorry, one, one last caveat, and then I'll stop talking. Yeah. Um, this is also glorifying it a bit, right? I mean, I'm happy to spend also the same amount of time <laughs> talking about the downside of it. But I think when you talk about, like, wanting to, um, uh, like, achieve things in your career and, like, an enterprise, I think that, that's, that, I think, really helps. Yeah. No, and, and I ask because for me, and, and again, I've always worked in the academic world, so what do I know? But at least as an outsider the world of consulting and the world of startups seem to be so two different worlds that that for me, it's always a bit kind of challenging to understand 
why do I see so many of these people first to consulting and unfounding? Because it, it for me, it mm -hmm. feels like two opposite worlds almost. Um, so it, it, why it feels almost Can you give like an example of what, what where the opposites are. <laughs> and again, maybe I'm now a bit too much cliche, but for me, it's like consulting is just executing the, the demands of the customer without, mm -hmm. to be honest, too much uh, critical reflection. <laughs> uh, so it's very kind of oriented towards what the customer wants. It's at least how, how I look at consulting. It's quite like, oh, there are very clear norms and values about what is appropriate behavior, what is not appropriate behavior. Everybody has to work until 10 in the evening. So for me, it's it's very different from the startup world where it's all about autonomy, thinking different. So th that's why, at least from a distance, it doesn't feel like a an, an straightforward yeah. transition. That's that's fair. So the way I would describe it is, I would take the startup journey and like absurdly simplify it into two steps. I think okay. the first step is you have to be very critical, very autonomous, um, very creative, and you have to come up with something that you're going to do. Yep. Once you've come up with that, there's also a moment in time where you start, okay, you define the business model, you define the value chains within the company, you define also the culture, right? You define how you want to work together, you define who you want to work with. And then the second step from there is execution, right? Like you actually have to do it. And I think a lot of um, uh, startups fail as well because they don't, um, they don't execute well. And I think you see some yeah. examples where you have this kind of, you know, if you look at like gorillas and Flink, for example, right? Um, yeah. And you could argue whether gorillas were actually the one inventing this model, right? They also weren't the one inventing the model. But let's say in Germany, they weren't the ones inventing the model. Um, but now Flink is the one that, you know, survives. And I always order Flink because I just think that the product and service and so many things are better. And it's like, we are all guys, I mean, now obviously you're exaggerating, executing the hell out of yeah. this thing without ever ever having questioned the model. Because they saw this is a yeah. good model, they watched, let's do it and let's do it better. <laughs> Um, and yeah. maybe that, that leads us back to why it was so good for me to study um, in the U.S. and meeting my co-founder, Sasha, because um, uh, he's a very different, I mean, on many levels, we are very similar and we're great friends. But on the other hand, also many things that we are very, very different. Um, and he, I would argue, um, is much more creative than I am. And I am much more execution focused. And yeah. uh, he's also much more... Um, uh, much, much more like almost daring where I'm more conservative, right? To give an example, like, you know, he bought Bitcoin when it was like still 50 bucks, you know, and I don't even own any Bitcoin yet because I'm like, that just sounds dodgy as fuck. Um, and, or, you know, we, we, let's say we have a customer meeting um, and he'll come, come out and be like, man, you're just, this is the best business model ever. Like, this is gonna like explode. And I look at him like, yeah, okay, but have you thought about these seven problems that we need to solve? Like, this is a problem, this is a problem, this is a problem. And I think that's where, yeah. you know, you have to have these different mindsets. And that's why I mentioned this diversity um, upside from, mm. from, from going to MIT there was uh, getting together with people that think differently. And then you can you can put these things together. Yeah. So what I would say yeah, with this, great. don't invest in a startup that's only their own founders. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I... No, I fully agree with you because, of course, I teach the, the VAO students and I would say they are amazing in terms of execution capabilities. I've been at a lot of schools and I say VAO students clearly are top notch in execution. If it's about creativity, <laughs> then it's a different story, I would say. <laughs> They're, they are not always the, the most, yeah. uh, I would say, or at least it doesn't come easy to them. Let's say it like that. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> okay, let's maybe talk a bit about uh, the company that you founded. Uh, so sure. Cutmos, you founded it in 2021. Mm-hmm. Maybe as a starting point, can you can you just briefly explain what what you're doing with Cutmos? Yeah, of course. Um, and stop me if I go too far and I just fall into pitching mode, right? Please yes. interrupt. Um, so on a very basic level, Cutmos is an end-to-end salary payment platform for migrant workers. Um, what are migrant workers? Migrant workers are 170 million people um, in the world. Think about um, kind of blue-collar, manual labor, technical jobs. Um, where you have a person um, that actually needs to go somewhere else to do the job. And I think that's the defining characteristic to think about it. We're not talking about um, these kind of freelance, um, uh, maybe coders, you know, you maybe have some Ukrainian guys working for a a, a San Francisco company. No, we're talking about people that actually have to move for their job. Um, And these people have um, all kinds of problems. I mean, it's a a complicated, hard thing, but also how they get paid. Um, Mm -hmm. And and this topic of how they get paid, that's what we're solving because what you have to think about when you go to a new place, your employer somehow pays you, like in the in the old ways, you know, there was cash, there was um, prepaid debit cards, like different kind of ways of paying people. But yeah, the 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 worker doesn't just want to get paid; he actually needs two things. One, he needs to be able to spend money locally where he is, and two, and that's even more importantly, he needs to send money home to his family. Right? That's the reason why you do this kind of stuff, why you go for thousands of kilometers somewhere else and you stay away from your family for so long, because you're trying to provide yeah. a better, especially financial future. Um, uh, for those people. Um, and, um, you know, we solved this in a, in, a, in a B2B2C model. We start working with the employers. Um, we integrate with their um, ERP accruing systems. Um, they do transfers at regular intervals, bulk transfers. Um, the system automatically distributes this money according to the data that we collect to e-wallets owned by the individual workers. Um, the workers um, they have a mobile app. Uh, they can uh, use that to access their e-wallet. They can remit funds to wherever they want, um, to their family, to their friends, to themselves, and they get a debit card that they can spend um, uh, where they are. They can shop online and do things like that. Um, and then we do a bunch of other things kind of around this ecosystem. Um, and um, yeah, that's that's um, that's roughly what we do. Okay. And uh, did you focus on a very particular industry at the beginning, or, or did yeah? You I mean, we're still, immediately... to be fair, we, we found we found out about a particular industry, and 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 we still also to a large extent do focus on a particular industry. So concretely, um, right, Sasha and I, we just wanted to work together, right? Like um, I was at McKinsey, he was um, doing um, data science for video game studios, right? And again, I think you can okay. see the difference in our approach to our career. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know we were talking about different things, but then he got a call from a from a relative who um, actually is uh, himself a so-called seafarer. Seafarer are people that work on um, um, ships, right? Different types of okay. ships. You have merchant ships where like you have container and, and, and tanker ships, etc. You have cruise ships, right? Those, those you know, people go on holiday, and you have kind of luxury and, and yachting segment where you have people um, that help you know run like Abramovich's um, you know yacht. Um, and um, he was just chatting with Sasha about some different things, but um, he also told them about how he and a lot of his colleagues get paid. Um, and therefore, the first time Sasha heard the story of a Filipino guy a couple of days earlier going home with tens of thousands of dollars in his pocket, like physical cash. Mm. Um, mm. And that's a quite a scary proposition, right? Like um, mm. you go home with pretty much your life savings and then you travel for like 36 hours to some remote island where your family lives in the Philippines and you have all this, this money in your pocket. Um, but you know, to us, excuse me. <clears throat> like to us, it just sounded a bit ridiculous why that's still the case. Did a quick back of the envelope calculation that it's like 
50 to 100 billion um, dollar salaries just in this merchant shipping. They're not even talking about crews or, or, or luxury uh, of salaries that get paid out. And 20% of that we estimated was still physical cash. So you have 10 to 20 billion dollars mm-hmm. that's physical cash. Um, and, um, you know, there's a longer story what we did from there, but that's pretty much how we found the problem. And you said, okay, let's, let's, let's go. Yeah, so you clearly identified the pain point of this Filipino guy. And based yeah. on that, you realized, okay, there is really a lot of friction going on. And if you have to make international payments as an employee, uh, and that's what we want to solve in the end. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, great. exactly. Yeah. And actually, I think uh, since 2021, you have been growing uh, quite quickly. Uh, there was also this glass dollar top 100 of fastest growing startups where you guys were in okay. the four, number 40 or something like that. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that, that's always nice to hear, not? That's great. I love it. <laughs> uh, uh, you have Series A funding, so you're really uh, on track in that respect. Now, of course, growth also triggers challenge, challenges. So, so yep, what do you sure. see as a kind of the, the core challenges that you're facing today as a growing firm like Katmos? What is the most difficult part? Mm, I mean, I would say there's kind of, again, today I have it with the two frameworks, but again, there's like two things to this, right? On the one hand is how do you, <clears throat> excuse me, how do you get even to growth, right? Like that's the bigger challenge because yep. I mean, growing is what you want to do, right? If you're a startup. So um, the first challenge or like many, many challenges actually revolve around how do you actually start growing? Like, how do you get, um, uh, you know, a product that even people want? How do you uh, find the people to build that um, the product? How do you finance that? How do you organize that? Like all the, that's just even starting with the growth. But then once the growth is there, it's like also so many things that then you internally have to take care of. And I think that's what you're probably more asking about. Yeah. But by now we are, um, um, I think, 45 people in the in the team and that's uh, 22 nationalities. Um, mm. And that's a, like by design, like if we really want to stay as diverse as possible. Um, uh, but also you can imagine how, you know, to what extent that makes it also harder to organize internally, right? Because you... Yeah. Um, I think the most important thing in such an organization is, you know, how do you communicate? How do you how do you understand each other? And I think that's something also where I draw a lot of lessons from. Again, this topic we touched upon earlier, this diversity, and also my relation with my co-founder um, Sasha, where um, you know he's Ukrainian, I'm German. We do both speak um, English uh, reasonably well, but it's not our mother language for neither of us, right? So we yeah. actually spend a lot of time talking about language, and we both have a bit of an interest in this. Um, so he has like this um, a translator education he did while he was studying. Like I did a lot of like ancient languages in high school and thought a lot about grammar and, and, and these things. And this helps us. But still, um, the fact that we don't speak the same language allows us to um, talk about that much more. And actually, I think that actually makes then once you really work through it, through this challenge, it makes our communication more efficient. Right. Yeah. So um, I think that's something that we also see in the team. Initially, you know, you'll have someone coming in and they are the first person that's from, I'm just going to say a random country, like from Brazil or from Taiwan. And that's obviously cool, but at first it's like, okay, different language, different behavior, et cetera, et cetera. And at first I would say there's like a dip in productivity where you don't understand each other as, as much. But then when you work through that and you improve your communication, I would say that the communication gets even better than if you would have mm. just started and already would have been on the same communication level. Because then if you spend some time really thinking about this communication, you become even um, even better. And I kind of turned your, your question around that you were asking about challenges. But this, I think, is one challenge that then actually kind of reinforces um the, the good things about the business where you kind of work through the challenge and then you and then you come out um stronger 
Uh, and are these people all are these people all working in Berlin or are they mainly working remotely? All Berlin. I mean, uh, exactly. all Berlin. Okay. All Berlin. Um, super happy. We actually had one of our uh, Yegor, um, uh, who was also a Ukrainian guy, actually um, uh, a friend of Sasha from his studies, and he was actually in Ukraine um, until okay. very recently. Um, mm. Because I mean, the situation is clear, and he finally met yeah. Berlin last week. I was very happy okay. to see him. Um, and now we are, yeah, we're pretty much complete in Berlin, everyone. Okay, and and that's also kind of a, because I see also a lot of startups choosing today to have a kind of remote first policy where they say, okay, yeah. you can work wherever you are. We are an international company. Uh, we don't care. You seem to have a different opinion there. Yeah, we do have a different um, opinion. Um, and I think it's also to some extent inspired by the users we serve, right? Because as I mentioned in the beginning, these are people that have to go somewhere to work. And um, you can argue that, you know, being online, being remote is fine. It might work for a lot of companies. I, I, I cannot judge that. But for me personally, it's, it's just not the same. And it's also quite boring. Um, mm. And to be honest with you, right, when we started, it was the middle of COVID. And no. I was bored. I was very <laughs> bored. And I fucking hated it. Um, and I remember, you know, saying to Sasha in the beginning, if we do a remote company, I'm not doing a company. Like, there's no way. Okay. Like, this this, is, this okay. is just not interesting for me. Um, because, yes, there's many other things that are, like, hobbies that I can do, things that are interesting. But I think neither you nor I need to work to survive, right? I think if we both just dropped our pencils, dropped our laptop, we would be fed. We would have a place to sleep. Like, it would be no problem. Um, and that's not the reason why, you know, I think we work. We work because, you know... I mean, you can now draw on many like psychological or sociological models, but you know, we do it for some reason. Um, and if I do it, I want to do it right, and I want to, uh, I want to enjoy it. And I think being close to people while you do that just increases that so much. Like, there's so many other things that you have when you're not online. Like, you know, you, I mean, it sounds weird, but right, you smell people, you touch people, you have, a, you, you, you eat the same things, you drink the same things, uh, mm. you, you experience the same atmosphere, the same weather. There's so many aspects to that. And to me, not having that. Um, I know it, it, it takes a lot away from, from, from the joy of it. Yeah. Okay. And, and, uh, in terms of, for instance, hiring, uh, because of course you're fast growing. So I suppose you also have to hire on a regular basis, new people. Is that something that you take into account when you're hiring people that they are willing to be in the office? Uh... Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, uh, and often actually it's something, I think it's also a, it's a divisive point. But it's a point that I think brings together the right people. So you mm. know, there will be people that say, "Oh, it's not remote." Okay, no, I'm not. I'm, I don't want to join. But then I'm yeah. also saying, "Okay, fine." Then I think we're not a fit because I mean, I'm yeah. happy for other people working remotely. Remote companies, great, do do it if, if it works for you. But it doesn't work for us. But then you have people coming into the office. I remember one example very um, vividly. Philip, our um, um, data protection uh, focused lawyer, you know, he came into the office and. Um, you know, he was working in a very stuffy environment before he came to us, right? I mean, you know, I mean, to most other people, you know, no offense to them, but data protection law <laughs> sounds super boring, right? And then that's what they, you know, imagine the kind of organization where he used to work. And it was also like a, like a, you know, company affiliated with, with the government um, yeah. or institution affiliated with the government. And um, he came into the office and like by accident kind of that day, two people had actually brought their babies um, to show them, show them okay. off because they recently had babies. And like you would have to see his face, like <laughs> sitting in the meeting room with me doing the interview and seeing through the glass door people popping up with babies and like groups forming. Oh, I'm so cute! And like doing this and touching and oh, it's just, and it was such a happy atmosphere. And like he was brimming over bo both ears because he was like, man, 
like this is the place I want to work at. I want to touch babies. Like this sounds weird, yeah, but, but you know, I want to <laughs> I want to be together with nice people, right? Um, and um, and I think that's something that brings together the, the people that want the same thing. So I would rather yeah. be a bit harsher on enforcing those kind of points. And you mentioned that in the beginning. You were asking, oh, how does it fit together? Um, you know, uh, this consulting exec, uh, execution focused mindset in the startup. But you know, here in the beginning, we said, okay, we are not a remote company. Like, mm. I mean, I'm remote right now. I'm right now in my in my in my in my study at home, right? Because I knew that we we're going to do this podcast, and I'm doing a bunch of kind of focused things. But three or four days a week, I always spend in the office, um, and everyone else does the same thing. And um, yeah. you know, in the beginning, we decided we were not going to be remote. We were going to be on site, and we are. This is a core part of our of of the way we work. And we keep doing that, right? We just execute on this. And even though people are like, oh, you know, I want to work in Bali for three months. And we're like, no, sorry, then you can't. You can't join us. You can't work in Bali for three months. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. that's how we do it. Okay, very interesting that, that you have such a kind of clear uh, philosophy in that respect. Uh, you were yeah, talking we about law lawyers. And, and <laughs> of course, uh, you, you're, you're a kind of fintech company. So i think you're also facing quite some issues in terms of regulation and at the same time you're growing quickly uh, how how can you manage that because uh I'm, I'm interesting how do you navigate this kind of highly regulatory environment and at the same time you need to grow quickly what are the kind of issues that you're facing there yeah um so, I mean, first of all, yes, right? I mean, that's that's a big topic. I mean, it's a major topic mm. um, uh, for us. Um, and, you know, that's the reason why by now we already have two, you know, full-time lawyers working within the company. Mm. We are hiring yeah. um, a third one. Uh, and we have, I can't even count the number of law firms, external law firms that we work with by now. Um, mm. um, and so, yes, it's, it's definitely um, something I think about. And if I, if I can give a tip to anyone starting now, if you think you might need a lawyer, you need a lawyer. Like, <clears throat> get the lawyer, <laughs> get them early, both external and internal. Like, I think we definitely waited too long. Our, our general counsel, okay. Jasper, um, uh, who joined us in, in, in fall last year, if you would have joined a year earlier, that would have solved a lot of problems. Um, okay. Um, and I mean, but let's maybe get a bit more concrete. You were asking about, you know, we are uh, in a regulated industry, it's a financial technology company. So initially, yeah, right, and I can, we... I can imagine uh, that, of course, uh, you, you're solving a pain point for people that allows them to make uh, transactions international. Of course, there yeah. might also be people interested in making international transactions, that, not for the best reasons, let's say yeah, it like course. that. Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> and that's actually why right now, for I mean, uh, to give you an example, right, it's all, we'll make it very concrete. So we used, and I'll go, go to this point, right, we used or still work a lot with, um, um, you know, kind of different providers that help us um, provide the, the things that we do, but we also realize we need to do more of this ourselves. So we are also applying for uh, financial licenses um, ourselves, okay. um, doing that in the um, uh, in the UK as well as in, in Germany slash EU. Um, and to give that example, right, um, last week we're doing a lot of interviews for a role called MLRO, Money Laundering Reporting Officer, which before mm. I never knew this even existed, um, because to have such a regulated entity um, you suddenly start needing such very special, specialized talent that do very specific things like looking at pretty much nothing else, but are people using your platform to launder money. Um, yeah. And um, these are things which I think you only slowly start realizing how important um, uh, they are. And, you yeah. know, with all this kind of, um, I guess, stereotype of lawyers kind of holding things up and making things slow, like they also enable a lot of things. Um, so that's kind of where my tip there comes from. Um, 
And so that's something like a big topic for us uh, these days, actually, um, kind of um, looking at those licenses. We even we even thought about buying a company in the UK just because they held uh, such a license that we need. Um, in okay. fact, this was an EMI license or electronic money institution, um, which is like a small bank. The difference to a bank is that you are not allowed to actually hold the deposits. The deposits need to be with a safeguarding bank. That's one difference of making it very simple. And the other difference is that you're not allowed to um, uh, give credit. So you cannot uh, uh, pay or charge um, uh, interest. Um, um, but such a license, like we even thought about buying a company. Now this unfortunately you know, didn't work out for a number of reasons. Um, but this is something which is incredibly uh, relevant to us, yeah. Yeah. And, and in terms of uh, working with lawyers, because, uh, and I, I fully appreciate it. Uh, so when I have to work with lawyers, uh, sometimes we also have data protection issues and stuff like that. Sometimes it's frustrating, but at the same time, I understand their role. Namely, their role is to minimize risks, not mm. and to avoid that, that you do things that, that could make you liable in one way or another. At the same time, uh, sometimes that can make kind of making progress more difficult. Um, so you have this always this thing like, okay, I understand that the role of a lawyer is to minimize risks, but sometimes I also want to make progress. How do you deal with that kind of tension in your company? I think first of all, it's good to have tension, right? I think tension okay. is how you how you you know get somewhere. You have you know you have some thesis, you have an antithesis, and then somehow that comes together and you yeah. find a new path that then actually works, right? I mean, we talked about yeah. this tension between execution and creativity in the beginning. I think this is similar. You need kind of the sales focused people that are like, oh, the customer wants this, this, this. Let's give it to them. Let's give it to them. But you also need someone to say, oh, hold up, like, can we actually do this? Um, can we not only do this once, but can we do this in a scalable manner? Can we do this in a safe and, 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 and like um, risk minimizing um, manner? So, um, you know, and to be honest, I think that that helps. And then, you know, I think the good lawyers um, and the lawyers that we um, uh, that we work with are people that want to want to make that work. Right. And we try to come together, find compromise um, and, and, and then get somewhere. So actually, I think it's something positive. Yeah. But you need to have the right type of lawyer, you would say then. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, I mean, what's the right type? That sounds kind of weird. What's the right type of lawyer? Um, but um, yeah, I think that's where it comes again to the topic of, of culture that we talked about in the beginning, that you know, you know what you are, um, who you're looking for when you recruit, and what kind of what kind of values you look for uh, when you yeah. recruit. And and one of our values is this, like you know, very simplified. We call it dare, which is about you know, like just being daring, right? And so also when you have a lawyer and he's supposed to risk minimize, you you know, you need to check: will this guy also be able to to dare on some things and do things that you know maybe aren't completely within his um, comfort zone? Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> And now, of course, you're working in the, the financial industry as a kind of fintech. Now, in the past weeks, quite some stuff has happened in the financial industry. You had yeah. Silicon Valley Bank, you had Credit Suisse. Now, is that in one way or another affecting what you guys are doing? Or is this something that is not really having an impact on your activities? So luckily, it didn't Im impact us directly in any way, really. Um, mm. Right, but obviously, I think the underlying trend that's happening there is something that affects us in many ways, right? I mean, I think this um, idea now of having these these extremely um, strongly increasing interest rates and that really changing yeah. the environment is something which um, is I think we don't even I mean not that I'm this you know economic guru, but I I would imagine that we're not we're far from knowing the results of this, right? Because mm. you know you had the and I'm going to go really like you know way way uh, you know more fundamental, but. You had the financial crisis and there was a lot of regulation that 
try to make sure that things are safer, right? Yeah. But um, then um, certain, you know, you, you have this regulation, whenever you have regulation, you will likely have something else popping up, which you didn't know when you were pinning down. Because regulation always feels like, you know, you're trying to hold this piece, you're trying to hold this piece, you're trying to hold this piece, but something's still gonna keep moving, something's gonna, gonna change, yeah. right? <clears throat> um, in this case, you know, over the last 10 years, you always had like low and, and decreasing interest rates and kind of again and again, there were reasons to keep it, to keep them low. Now they're rising. And that's, I think, the, the thing that actually causes, you know, the SVB or the credit Suisse problems where at SVB, the interest rates rise um, and, and, and the bonds that they bought in the low interest rate environment aren't worth what they're uh, used to anymore. And people got panicked. But I also got a bunch mm -hmm. of WhatsApp from people saying, oh, do you have uh, an account with SVB? Like I heard some rumors, take your money out. <laughs> Uh, and I mean, it's yeah. just a, this classical bank run situation, but it's caused by something that the regulation maybe at the time wasn't fully foreseeing that this will happen. Um, and for us, to be honest, that's why it's the cool thing about being an entrepreneur and being a startup. Like this is exactly situation that are great for us, you know, okay. because things are like these other institutions are so rigid. They're so held up. They can't move. And you have a credit Swiss, like this hundred or 200, whatever years old bank, and they get bought. Like it's almost like it's sad and, and, and ridiculous almost. Um, mm -hmm. But for us, I, this is different. We can be um, so much nimbler, and I think that's exactly any time such an upheaval occurs and regulation yeah. try to protect old stuffy business. That's exactly where you need entrepreneurs to step in and, and, and provide new things that can um, that can that can help you, right? Because imagine, you know, you um, you, you mentioned this 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 money laundering topic, um, right? If you are a, a large institution. Um, it is such a risk to bank certain customers because they will just be too small mm. and it will not make sense because you need to check every single transaction. Um, but for us, these are things that we try to automate. We try to use technology and software to do exactly those okay. things. And technology and software doesn't, you know, isn't bothered how small their customers because it's, it, it doesn't cost, there's no variable cost to just keep going, right? Um, yeah. And I think uh, that's actually an opportunity for us uh, right now. Okay, so you guys are applying kind of algorithms to kind of predict whether somebody might uh, be engaged in transactions that, that should not be accepted, that kind of stuff. To be honest, I'm the worst one in the company to explain anything about that. <laughs> okay. I'm, the least I'm literally the least technologically literate person in the entire company. Uh, and I'm not proud of that. Like I'm trying to get better. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I think we have some cool, we have some cool stuff going on under the hood. <laughs> Great. Uh, maybe just to briefly look back at the past two years, eh, because you guys started in 2021 uh, amidst the Corona crisis, have been growing quite intensively in the past two years. So if you look back at these two years, what would you say has been the most challenging for you personally? Mm. I think for me personally, um, uh, was sometimes the lack of, um, how do you say that, the lack of, uh, of, what's the word um like I, I i i didn't know whether what i was doing was the right thing right mm -hmm. so you know we talked previously about like let's say the stringency of decisions that i were taking for my career um and uh, i still think that also doing the step with the startup is the most reasonable thing i could have um i could have done right where else with you know in the beginning i was 25 where else do you get that level of responsibility opportunities to learn you know, so much um, capital to spend on things that just to try yourself out and learn. Um, but what was very different from uh, McKinsey, from the companies like banks and consultancies and private equities where I interned, uh, you know, WHO, MIT, school, like you at very regular intervals, you get feedback whether what you're doing is the right thing. 
Um, yeah. You have people that are directly above you looking at you. Oh, how are you doing? How should you change? Um, and that was suddenly gone. Right? That wasn't yeah. there anymore. Um, and in the beginning, it's just two idiots, you know, like <laughs> messing around uh, and trying and seeing what works, right? Um, and you get very little feedback whether what you're doing actually um, actually works. And I think, like psychologically speaking, for me, that was really a, um, a shift in mindset I had to make where I couldn't rely on other people telling me whether what I was doing was the right thing. And I had to spend much more time for myself to think, oh, this is what you're doing right now? Is this the thing that you that you should be doing? And I mentioned this in the beginning about this, this, all this work mindset. You know, if I'm not being productive, then do something else. And, yeah. and I think these are things that go hand in hand. Like really, you have to be the one that's actually responsible for your own actions. You have to understand whether what you're doing is the right thing or, or not, which is not always right, but you still have to try it. Yeah, and yeah. did you then actually also try to get feedback from other people or from other founders or people in your company? Or... Yeah, so I think especially um, uh, between Sasha and myself, we have a very open feedback culture and try to tell each other okay. like what works and, 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 and what doesn't work. Because I think one problem with trying to discuss these kind of topics with like, let's say another founder or someone else, they will not, first of all, know what it actually is that you spend time on. So it's going to take you a long time to explain your issue. And secondly, they are not incentivized to give you good advice, right? So for example, <laughs> I'm sure you know a shitload of things about how to be a right entrepreneur, but also mm. you don't care about my success. I mean, you care a little bit, right? You're happy if it goes wrong, <laughs> yeah. but do you really can? No, right? But between Sasha yeah. and myself, for example, and now within much more people within the company who, who are very dear to us, like we all really care about the success of the company for many reasons. So mm. I can go and ask uh, someone else in the company, what do you think about my behavior? And they will tell me not what they think I want to hear, not what they want to say because they think it sounds cool. They will tell me what they think is going to make the success of the company more likely. Um, yeah. And that's something which I think is very important to think about whenever you try to get feedback, whenever you want to get um, advice from other people. Like you need to check what their incentive is. Um, and... Um, uh, and to be honest, this I learned at, at, at VAU, right? Professor Yost, like uh, game theory um, class, to me, a super influential uh, class, like thinking about thinking about okay. these, like what incentivizes and motivates other people. Um, and, you know, to give you one example of, 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 of how we're dealing with that right now, right now we actually have for mm. the first time a complete like 360 review process going on, which when yeah. we started it, it felt way too big. It felt like something, you know, if you're, you know, in the ducks, you know, where you can do 360 review processes with like peers and, above and below and this way and that way and spending hours um but now that we've we're like halfway through i'm like this was such a good decision to do this process um because you spend so much time to reflect on your own strengths and weaknesses on other people's strengths and weaknesses and we've already had a bunch of really hard conversations like just yesterday evening we had a conversation in a group of four people which was it was really hard to start the conversation it feels really felt really uncomfortable but we were but then we were able to speak really openly about someone's kind of problems, but also maybe mm. how we as others contributed to those problems. Um, I think we solved it really well. We found a really cool um, ideas to change it. And we went out of the meeting, I think, being a much stronger team because we were yeah. honest, we were open, we were we were vulnerable. Uh, we talked about things and we went out feeling actually really good uh, about it. So um, I think it's a great question that you asked, right? And like, like going from this, what was this challenge saying? Okay, I think the challenge was this idea of um, uh, like, getting this feedback and now how do we implement that uh and, and and i think that again connects with the beginning where we said you have to be creative and you have to learn new things and, and be critical or whatever but then you know you realize what culture 
truth or what culture piece you realize from that and then executing that in the company now having this institutionalized review process which really helps us grow mm. so uh, yeah really cool question it really helped me to also think through that thank you yeah and and actually and again um i don't want to go too deep, too deep but can you give me an example of of something a behavior that you have changed based on that feedback i think i think one uh concrete thing for example is the um um the way I com communicate um, mm -hmm. and concretely um, when when I think about uh, concretely I think it is about um, giving people the full spectrum of things that are relevant like both positive and negative things because for me when, when I think about the company I typically focus on the problems that I then how can I solve these problems because yeah. all day like I think about the strategy and the high level view on these topics but then if I go into a conversation with someone who maybe is a recent joiner or um, is um, is a person that uh, that you know is maybe in, in the engineering team and, and then spends all day improving uh, uh, data structures, right? They don't think about that level. And then if I come in and tell him about all the problems that are there, like he will get demotivated or she will get demotivated. But I say this because I already know all things that are working well. I'm like, yeah, fine, these things already work, like fine. But then going in, I think you have to make sure that you are balanced about your 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 communication um and because people really rely on um these things that you know as a founder that are the great things why you're doing this like why have i been spending yeah. more than two years of my life on this doing so much stuff because i believe it's such a cool thing to do and like reminding ourselves that that's an absolute fact and celebrating this and being happy about that it just also makes the whole thing so much um, so much more enjoyable, right? Because even if yeah. it's a challenge, then you know you're working on this, you're solving this challenge because you really believe that this is what you should be doing. Um, and I think yeah. that's a big learning from um, uh, from from that. And I think something that really, really made me grow as someone leading groups of, of, of people in whatever uh, fashion. Yeah. yeah, so that you should not only focus in your communication and your behavior on the the problems or the negative side, but also yeah. highlight the successes, the positive side. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's actually quite recognizable. <laughs> I think you're not the only one facing that kind of uh, challenges. Great. Uh, but what we always do at the end of the podcast is, is simply to ask, uh, what you're reading, what you're listening to, uh, mm -hmm. what movies you're watching. Do you have for our audience any specific recommendations of books, podcasts, movies yeah. that, that inspire you? And it doesn't have to be business related. It can also be in a totally yeah. different direction. Yeah. I think uh, there are two books which I, the only ones I can really recommend when someone asks me about book recommendations because those I've read and reread so many times. Uh, and one is um, this novel from Jules Verne in 80 Days Around the World. Okay. Um, like the first time uh, I ever like read this, I didn't read it, it was an audiobook that for some reason was lying around in our, in our house. And okay. um, I read it and what I love about it is, you know, you, and I don't want to spoil it, right? But you have this guy, um, Phileas Fogg, the, the main character, who doesn't need anything, right? Like he's um, uh, at, at home in London, he has a shitload of money, he has, you know, a life that works really, uh, really well. But suddenly his, his, you know, club colleagues come up with this challenge of going around the world. And he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to do it. Um, and he does it for a reason that's never really revealed um, in the book. And that's not a spoiler, but, you know, things happen. I'm not going to say if he makes it or whatnot, but there are so many things which he positively gains from having started it. 
Um, and I think that's uh, something which 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 is a huge learning for me. But also, it's just amazing to read. If you don't like reading, like listen to the audiobook. But if you're German, listen to the audiobook narrated by Rufus Beck. Don't listen to any other audiobooks because that's the one that's narrated <laughs> in the in the in the coolest in the coolest way. Um, that's book tip number one. And book tip number two, um, it's not all too different. It's this book uh, called The Data by Hermann Hesse. It's a bit of this kind of um, almost a coming of age story and a little bit of a okay. um, you know and a, like certain spiritual spiritual and, and, and seeker type um, uh, uh, aspect to it. But um, that one I can just uh, really recommend for anyone that's like struggling to figure out uh, what exactly they uh, they want to do. Um, and especially during uh, COVID times for me, where you know I mentioned in the beginning, I was uh, severely bored. And I think this, you know, boredom is a for me personally, it's a it's a it's a big word, maybe bigger than other people use it. And that book really um, helped me to think about that. Um, so those are the two I can really recommend. Okay, great. Yeah, so quite uh, two, I would say, creative suggestions that we have okay, not well, heard before. Okay, well, maybe I'm not creative. Have you Yeah, your execution focus, it's true. Yeah, it's execution focus. <laughs> yes. Uh, Justus, yeah, thanks a lot for uh, this conversation. I really liked it. I really enjoyed it. Nice that we went into kind of some different topics that, that I did not anticipate. That's always nice. Uh, so thanks a lot. Uh, for doing this and I hope you also enjoyed the conversation. I really did. Thank you very much. Thanks, Julius. Thank you. So everybody, thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a rating wherever you listen or watch this podcast. You can also follow us on LinkedIn to stay up to date with our latest episodes. We appreciate your support and look forward to seeing you again soon. Bye.